You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, at this time, I have the incredible privilege of leading our last sermon of 2017, which I, you know, and when I was first asked it, hey, do you want to do that? I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then I realized, oh, this is the last thing. Like literally tomorrow is a whole new year. And this is going to be on the day of New Year's Eve, the last. I'm like, okay, great. Well, I am really excited though. Uh, You know, I did a lesson here in the West Side about two and a half years ago uh, that I thought, man, this would be really appropriate to kind of bring back as we look forward into 2018 and as we kind of have an opportunity to take stock of 2017. You know, for many of us, this has been an incredibly surreal year, full of high highs and low lows, myself included. Um, and, and no matter kind of where you're coming from today, it's important that we take stock of the year. Man, how have we grown? And looking forward, how do we need to continue to grow? Not only personally, but as a church. You know, one of the highlights for me was the birth of my daughter, Emily, who I think had to be escorted out of here a little earlier because she was getting a little cray. Uh, She does that right around feeding time. You know, it's crazy. She's seven weeks old, but when you have kids, and for all the marrieds, you're going to go, uh-huh. When you have kids, like at seven weeks, you already know kind of their personality, some of their likes and dislikes. My daughter gets hangry. Like, at the drop of a hat. I mean, if you're like two minutes late, I mean, she goes into full meltdown mode. I'm going, how is this going to manifest later in life? I'm not sure. But that, is, that is, was an incredible high. But I know also, at the beginning of this year, and it's, it's a crazy to think about, but we lost Olivia's father, my father-in-law, uh, almost a year ago. It'll be a year in like three weeks. And thinking that all of these things happened in the same year, You know, God does a lot in one year. And it's very humbling to see the transformation, the suffering, but also the incredible victory that God can do in one person's life in a year. And so at this time, if you guys will turn with me to Genesis, we're going to be reading out of the story of Joseph. And so Genesis 37, I want you to just put your finger there. We're going to be talking today about transformation and legacy. I know for some of us, you're looking at today and New Year's Eve. For some of us, it's like, man, I can't wait for today to be over. Like 2017 could not have ended soon enough for me. And you might be feeling like that was just a I just took an L on that year. You know what I'm saying? We're just going to leave it at that. That was just a rough one. I'm going to do way better next year. But I really want to encourage you, leaving an incredible legacy can start today. You can still walk out of 2017 with a W when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to transformation and leaving an incredible legacy. You know, I remember as a little boy, my dad and I, one of the things that we did, it was kind of one of our things, was we went to the movies. And when we couldn't go to the movies, we went to the video store. Some of you are like, what? What do you mean? Like, is that like at home when you turn on Netflix? No, the video store is legitimately a thing like that. 
That was, a, how many of you guys, Blockbuster Video, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've got all the singles, all the married, y'all know. Blockbuster Video, that was the jam. You showed up there, they had new releases, they had, and you actually had to show up. It wasn't like the movies came to you. Netflix wasn't even a thing yet. And it wasn't even like Netflix where you sent in a DVD and they mailed you one back. You know what I'm saying? That's like snail mail Netflix. This is like the OG. You had to go to the store and rent a movie. And if you were late, they charged you. It was crazy. It wasn't like you just watched it and it just went back to your queue. Like, no, you had to pay dues. Like, they got you. Or they wouldn't let you rent anymore. They'd be like, okay, you got to go to Video Wizard down the street or something and figure yourself out. Right? I remember when Blockbuster went out of business and they were literally selling everything. Like, you could buy the carpet. You could buy the, the video stands, the TVs on the wall. Like, they went out, I think because of Netflix, so hard. But when I was a kid, we would go to Blockbuster Video, and, and, you know, as a nine-year-old, you're looking for what's the most interesting, like, video cover. You have no idea what, you know, what the movie's about. You just want to find the coolest video cover. And for me, those were always in the horror section. Always, right? It's always like a bloody axe or something. You're like, oh, cool, I want that. Like some dude, like, shooting guns, like, falling in slow motion. Like, that was always in, like, action horror. And so I would go there, and I would bring, like, a stack of movies to my dad. Dad, let's get these. It was, like, a month's worth of movies. And he'd go, I'm nine. I'm nine. So he's like, nah, go put that mess back. We're getting, like, the land before time. And you're just going to enjoy that mess. You're, you're like little, little foot. Run from the sharp teeth. Like, this is getting real. Uh, but the very first time that I figured out I could cheat the system, was I was riding in the car with my dad, and there was this movie cover that I had been going back to like over and over and over every time we went to the movie store, just hounding my dad to get it. It was the cover of the movie Alien. How many of you guys saw Alien in theaters? Anyone? That is like one of my favorite, like the first one. First one, the second one, everything after that, you just kind of comfortably forget. But those movies were so intense. And so I asked my dad, Dad, did you ever see the movie Alien? And he goes, yes, son, I did. What was it about? And my dad, being a great storyteller, then went into like a three-hour-long dissertation of the movie Alien in gross detail. Like, and then, son, it went through this dude's head and blood just gushed out. I'm just like, I figured it out. I could just ask my dad any R-rated movie, and he'll just give me the version. And it was like later in life when I would go see some of these movies, I would be so disappointed because my dad's stories over time got better than the actual movies were. I'm like, wow, dad. And now it's like so long, you know, 30 years. Dad's like, I don't remember. Like, I saw Alien. I don't remember anything that happened in it. Dad, come on. You know, but just like me and my dad, God loves great stories. And God's favorite stories were where the hero was not someone exciting. You think, what? Like... For any of you who watch Die Hard over Christmas, you know, Bruce Willis, he is all of the exciting in that movie. You watch it because he's exciting. You're not watching it because some random extra is boring. But God seems to find these random extras and take their raw materials and turn them into exactly what he needed them to be in the moment to do incredible things. You know, for us, it's absolutely the same. If we want to have a great legacy, it cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, and it cannot be given to you. Those are temporary legacies. Those are the legacies of billionaires, athletes, freedom fighters, where you, where you find their legacies in halls of fame, stat lines, and notoriety. 
This is not the legacy that God intended for us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know, God set eternity in our hearts because God desired us to have the greatest kind of legacy that could possibly be had. That we would be able to have an eternal legacy. And eternal legacies are legacies that are forged. You know, tonight we're going to walk through the life of Joseph and kind of parallel that a little bit with a little bit of my history. That was the the picture of the two weird dudes in the beginning. That was what most people think when I say history. They think, right, Jon Snow, like frozen zombie army coming down on HBO. And the reality is you're like that weird professor from Ancient Aliens who's like, like, that's what it is. But we're going to go through kind of the forging of swords and compare that to really what God did with Joseph in really forging his character into exactly what he needed to be. And so in Genesis 37, starting in verse 2, we're going to get a little bit of an idea of what kind of raw materials God was working with when we find this young guy, Joseph. You know, for some of us, you've heard of Joseph. If you're visiting with us, you go, okay, Joseph, is that like coat of many colors? Is that, you know, what, what is this guy, Joseph? He sounds like he was a famous guy. Well, he, I mean, he got there. Let's just say that. And we start in Genesis 37 in verse 2 with a little bit less than stellar beginnings. It said, Now Israel, his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream. And you think he might have learned from the first time, but he told it to his brothers again. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. I mean, he could not take a hint. You know what I'm saying? And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground? Before you. You know, I believe it's safe to say that Joseph was some raw materials. You look at this kid and you look at just this little snippet of his life, and we can learn a lot about his attitude. And he was a teenager, I get it, but you look at this kid, man, he is prideful. Has these dreams, lords it over his brothers. You go, okay, they're brothers, I get that, but then lords it over mom and dad. Big mistake. Foolish. Right, telling his brothers that they're going to bow down to him. If you have a dream like that, you just keep that to yourself. You know what I'm saying? For anyone in here, you're like, I had that dream. Just hey, you know, just just pray about that and leave that one, you know, in your prayer journal or something. He's naive. 
thinking that, man, I can just go around and start blasting people with my dreams and my visions and nothing's going to happen. No one's going to have any kind of reaction or maybe get hurt by the things I say. He's not a hard worker, right? His brothers are out in the fields working. And what's he doing? He's at home getting babied by mom and dad. And finally, he's incredibly selfish. He had no concern or regard for any of his family in telling them the story except for himself. He was a young, immature, spoiled mess. And as we look at ourselves, we've got to ask, where am I at? You know, coming in today, how am I doing? As I exit 2017 and I look back on what this year looked like for me, how would I characterize the things I've said and the things I've done, the friend I've been, the father I've been, the brother, sister, daughter, mother? How would I characterize these things. Because the reality is, is that whether you're a snot-nosed, 17-year-old little brat like Joseph, or you feel like, man, I, this was actually a great year for me. The reality is God is going to put you in the fire. And we are all going to take a turn in the furnace. My first point today is you must be reforged. You know, the first step to forging a sword is you've got to take these raw materials. And the way that it usually comes out, if you're a professional blacksmith, is you have these things called billets. It's these little pieces of high-quality steel that you kind of weld together on the ends, and this is what you're going to make your sword out of. And you've got your first job is taking these pieces, these many, obviously, you look at the layers here, the many pieces of metal, and turning them into one thing. And that involves reheating it to about 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit and hammering. And hammering and hammering, your arm gets tired, and you hammer some more. And you just beat the tar out of this metal when it's super hot until it bends to your will and it becomes the shape that you were looking for. You know, in chapter 37, Joseph's dad sends him out. After he has this little incident, Joseph's dad sends him out to go bring some food to his brothers, which is funny. Again, they're out in the fields working, and he's not. And so we pick up here as he's kind of approaching them in Genesis 37, verse 23. It says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they had had enough. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him. For 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. And as we read this passage, you see a dramatic shift in Joseph's life. He goes from being the favored son, the baby in the family, the one who's given everything. And kind of in one fell swoop, God just takes everything away. God allows him to be sold into slavery. In their minds, right, never to be seen again. 
and he's dragged off for 20 pieces of silver. And if this were the end of the story, this would be unbelievably tragic. That his brothers hated him so much that the only better alternative they could think of to just killing him was to sell him to be a slave. But you see, God wasn't willing to let Joseph just carry on with his spoiled life. God wasn't willing to let Joseph just rule his own life in this selfishness. He needed to be reforged. And that meant putting him in the fire and putting him under the hammer and making him a slave to burn out his pride and hammer out his selfishness. God knew that Joseph could never be the ruler that he intended for him to be of his people until he became a slave of his God and not a slave of himself. You know, God took his comfort so that he would rely on his strength. God took his control so that he would surrender to his will. Took his support so that he would learn to stand on his relationship with God. And finally, took away his pride so that he would learn to obey God. What about us? You know, if you're sitting here today, God has brought you here for a reason. If you go, Chaz, this is literally my first time. I kind of wandered in. I saw you guys' little pop-up thing outside. It looked really cool. I thought maybe there was something going on here. And now you're talking about being sold into slavery. I am a little nervous. The reality is, whatever brought you here, God was the one who orchestrated it. And he brought you here for a reason. He wants to know if you're willing to become a slave of God. If you're willing to give up the same things that Joseph did to follow Jesus. Because if that's what you want to do, if you want to follow Jesus, then this is neither a negotiation nor an optional thing. This is the bottom line expectation. That if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are offering yourself as a slave to God. And everything that comes with. And it's crazy. You're sitting here like, this is unbelievable. And it's true because this is the hardest part of the whole foraging process. Everything after this is hard, but not as hard as completely reshaping something into something else. The reality is because a lot of us came in and you're already shaped into something. It wasn't like we came in as just perfectly clean cut raw materials. Chaz, how... How could that be? I've been going to this church my whole life, maybe like a Matt Keys. Well, that's true, but in your life, you've allowed yourself to be shaped by things. You've allowed yourself to be, you've allowed yourself to be shaped by the media. And maybe that's turned you into something. And maybe that something is a little useful. You're like a wrench. Wrenches are useful. Or maybe you've been shaped by what others thought about you, even in the church. And you've allowed that to kind of shape you more than what God thinks about you. And that's turned you into something. Maybe a spatula. Also useful for something. Cooking eggs. Or maybe you've just kind of allowed your religiosity. You said, okay, I'm just going to be super religious. I'm just going to say shalom and hallelujah any chance I get. And that's turned you into something else. Like a shake weight. Maybe useful, probably not. Right? The religiosity, probably not incredibly useful. And the reality is, 
even though you're something. This is not what God wants you to be. Because when you look at these things, as cool or as handy and utilitarian as they are, they don't even compare to the masterpiece that God is trying to make. No one would take any of those previous things over this. Even if you didn't live in medieval England, you live right now. If I offered you one or the other, most people would take this. Because it's so much more magnificent. You know, God is the master smith and he wants you to be his masterpiece. But you've got to be willing to stay in the furnace. Coming out of 2017, how many of us have been hiding from the hammer? How many of us have been hiding maybe from the fires of the furnace? You go, Chaz, this is so uncomfortable. Chaz, this is just, ah, this keeps me in a spot where I'm just, it's not where I like to be. That's kind of the point. Because God is going to take you out of your comfort zone in order to make you great. You see, hiding from the hammer only ever produced half-realized dreams and a long list of what could have been. And as we look at 2018, we want to look for what is going to be, not what could I have been or what could God have used me for. God has this incredible dream for our legacy, for our legacy as a church, but for your legacy as just a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is going to be your spiritual legacy? Is it going to be that you avoided hardship? That you ran from suffering? That you never really fully gave God your heart? Or is it going to have been a legacy where I jumped into the fire with both feet, ready for whatever God was going to do with me? And so let him transform my life. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God's dream. Guys, when you read this passage, God's dream, His idea, His vision of the legacy is that we would become, every single day that we're in the fire, every single day that we're under the hammer, more like Him. That we would become more like this incredible Jesus that Matt spoke about. This Jesus who gave up everything, who changed the entire face of history, who changed everything. That we would actually get to become more like that. If we stayed in the fire. But in order to do that, we must become slaves of God. We must let him form us. Point number two, you must be hardened. You see, once the sword, now you've got it into like a bar, you know, rectangular bar-shaped piece of metal. You go, okay, cool, it's a sword. No, it's, it's just a rectangular bar-shaped piece of metal. You've made it into that, and actually from hitting it so many times with the hammer and putting it in the fire, you've actually made it really soft. If you were to actually just like go to war with this thing, it would just bend and twist and just get warped beyond recognition. And so what they actually have to do is this process called hardening. 
where you take your sword, you heat it up again to 1,500 degrees, and then you do what's called quenching. You either put it into room temperature water or room temperature oil. And what happens is, because the metal, you're forcing it to cool off so fast, it actually changes the chemical composition of the metal. It comes out completely different. And it comes out with a hardness to it, a strength to it, that now if you hit something with it, it's not going to bend, it's not going to break. It's going to go through whatever it was you hit. You look at that. You know, in some of these great swords in history, for any of you who watch any kind of action movie that you've seen, like the, the samurai swords, if you've seen The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, right? You see in the movie, you're like, these swords do incredible things. I mean, at one point he cuts through a dude's gun, which is steel and wood, or he cuts through a whole dude. Like, you're like, what is this? This sword, right, the samurai sword, back in the day, the standard, right, the bar of a great sword was that if you swung it, you could cut someone shoulder to hip in one swing. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm cut. I mean like through. Or if you've seen Braveheart and you go, Chaz, that was a big sword, that Claymore. Mel Gibson, I, I feel like he's probably too short to have carried it. You know what I'm saying? You're probably right. I mean, the sword is like five and a half feet tall. You look at that, he does some amazing stuff with that. There was a show I used to watch called Deadliest Warrior. Anyone used to watch that show? Yeah. Well, they did a special, right, on that, on that claymore. Because one of the myths was that if, if three guys were coming at you in one swing, you could go through three necks. It was a myth. Or we're getting graphic here. And so what they did was they set up bowling balls on top of like meat, like just pig neck or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was basically it had bone in it and it was the thickness of like the average grown like 200, 200 pound man's neck. And they put it in an arc with bowling balls on top to simulate the head. And they had this expert come in with his claymore and they did a swing and it went through all three. Like no problem. Like it probably could have gone through like an extra two. Right? And you go, Chaz, this is disturbing in the least. You're right. I mean, we live in a different time now. But the reality was, is how hard your sword was determined what kind of punishment it could take. Determined how much abuse it could take. How much damage it could take. Just like conviction. And we find Joseph in Genesis 39. Now he's been sold into slavery. And somehow, right, he, he stayed faithful to God through this experience. And God has really lifted him up. And so he's in the household of this Egyptian guy named Potiphar, right, who was a member of the, the he was the captain, actually, of Pharaoh's guard. Which, if you think about it, that's like being the captain of the Secret Service. So he was, he was a gnarly guy. And over the course of Joseph being there, Joseph is such a good slave that he promotes him to head of the household. Maybe things were different back in ancient days, but when you bought a dude for $20 and he became your slave, making him kind of the Alfred of your life and giving him full reign over all your stuff, that seems a little counterintuitive. Like maybe something bad is going to happen to you one night while you're sleeping because Alfred has all the keys to everywhere and he doesn't like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, but somehow this guy Joseph becomes so trusted that he becomes the Alfred of Potiphar's Batman and he somehow becomes well-built. You go, well-built? Like 
muscular. Yeah, well, how did you do that back then? They didn't have 24-hour fitness back then. I mean, unless he, he I, I don't know. If he just had him, you know, what are your cleaning duties today? Well, you're cleaning the gym. And, like, in between cleaning, he's, like, over there, like, curling stuff while wiping the windows. Like, I don't, I don't know what he was cleaning, but somehow he became well-built, working for the captain of the Secret Service. But in this, right, everything seems to be going really, really well for him. Slavery could be worse for Joseph in this moment. But the reality is, is that there's a huge test of his conviction looming on the horizon. In Genesis 39, in verse 8, Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, sees this guy with the power of the household, sees this guy who's younger than her husband, well-built, and she tries to sleep with him. And so we pick up here in Genesis 39, in verse 8, it says, But he refused. It's a good line right there. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were inside. Right? Isn't that the way it goes? She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph had an impressive 40 time. He was his 40 yard dash. That was part of the being well built. It was running away from, you know, his master's wife. Right, she frames him after that. You think, well, wow, that was so great. And it was great. But later, you know, after this story, she feels really hurt. And so she frames him for trying to rape her by using the cloak as like, see, he came at me, but I grabbed his cloak and he ran. And, and she tells her husband, her husband has Joseph thrown in jail. Slavery got worse, right? But when you look at Joseph, you see a lot of differences in this time in his life than when he got hired into slavery. You see, Joseph has spent a lot of time with God in the fire. You know, we learn from this passage that Joseph has become a hard worker instead of a baby. Joseph has become diligent with responsibility instead of incredibly selfish. He's become respected instead of hated or babied. You know, God's forging has done its job. His hardening has done its job of deepening this guy's conviction to a point where by himself, on his own, no one spiritual around him, in a situation where it probably, from a worldly point of view, would have been better for him to sleep with this dude's wife, he takes a stand for God and refuses to the point of sprinting out of the house. Temptation came along and it tested his conviction. And like a good hardening of a sword would do, his conviction proved true. And his sword didn't break. What about us? You know, for some of us, you've been in the fire for a very long time. You've been a Christian now for maybe five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Four. You're getting up there. You've been in the fire for a long time. 
But the problem with being in the fire is that suddenly taking breaks from the fire seems super appealing. Now, when you're forging a sword, you have to take it out of the fire from time to time to do stuff. That's normal. That's natural. That's healthy. Right? If the sword were in the fire all the time, it would just melt. And so there are times in our spiritual lives where we've got, you've got to take a little step back. You've got to regroup. Let me reconnect with God. Let me reconnect with people. Let me kind of gather my, gather my strength so that I can get back into the fire. But doesn't it just so happen that that's kind of the exact time, just like when no one was in the house, that Satan wants to come at you? That maybe you're taking a little break from the fire and you start hearing those voices. Hey, you've been doing a great job. Man, no one can do what you do. You've been giving up so much. You've been in that fire for so long. Maybe you should take a break. You need a little fire-free vacation. You deserve it. In fact, no one deserves it. more. Here, put your feet up. Stay out of the fire. Things will be great. And we can take ourselves out and looking at getting back in the fire suddenly seems so gone and far away. Suddenly seems way more painful than we remember it. And it suddenly becomes so much harder to put ourselves back in the fight than it was at the beginning. And I want to challenge us. No matter how long you've been a Christian, this is one of the greatest temptations that we face, is staying in the fire. And for some of us, in 2017, you took yourself out of the fire for way too long. And as much as God is trying to form you into this masterpiece, he can't do it when you're sitting in the corner of the forge gathering dust. You've got to get back in. You've got to take your faith to another level. You've got to take your relationship with God to places where maybe you're afraid to take it. Doing things that maybe you did at first, but that just seems like a younger man's game now. We've got to become a church that's willing to walk the line of our faith and transform our mindset when it comes to 2018. If we want to see God do incredible things and build an incredible legacy in us. You know, as we close out here, all of this time that God spent forging Joseph, hardening Joseph, comes to a head. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 through 8. In one of the most moving passages of Scripture. You see, Joseph, through all of this time, went from being a slave to being in prison, learning compassion, helping these men, to finally being elevated to this place of being second in command again. But not just of the household or of prison, but of the entire country. He becomes the right-hand guy to Pharaoh. And lo and behold, 13, 15 years later, who comes knocking but his brothers who sold him into slavery so many years ago? In Genesis 45, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. 
Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. In the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is unbelievable. When you think about being elevated to the right hand of the president, let's say, and here come the guys that sold you into slavery, hated you, were going to murder you all those years ago, and you've spent in that time nothing but being a slave, being in prison, being under someone else's control, being out of control of any of your own life, missing out on maybe some of the best years of your life, And they come to you, and you are in the second highest position of power that could possibly be. And yet he falls before them and says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He sent me here to save you guys. There's no hatred. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. He completely forgives them. Church, the power of God's transformation is unbelievable. It goes beyond what we think is even possible. And if we want to have any transformation, any kind of incredible legacy in 2018, we must be reforged by God. We must be hardened. We must be willing to let God put us in the fire and stay there until he transforms us into exactly what he desires for us to be. If we can do this, we will see even greater legacies in 2018 with our relationship with God. Amen? Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.